Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome back to yet another episode of Candid COVID Conversations. This is Nancy Johnson back with you again. I am an attorney with Littler Mendelssohn's Orlando office. As those of you that have been listening to this series know, Littler is the world's largest management-sided labor and employment law firm. And that for the past 20 or so months, we've been devoting a lot of time and energy untangling new issues facing employers in all facets of employment law that have surfaced from the COVID-19 pandemic. And with me once again is my office managing shareholder, Kimberly Dowd. Hi everyone. Hi Nancy. Glad to be here to talk about another new twist that has once again thrust Florida into national news. Federal versus state vaccine mandates and of course the new Florida laws signed last week. Yep and I know we published an episode of this a couple of weeks ago um, or a little less than a couple of weeks ago about the OSHA ETS, the emergency temporary standard announced by OSHA that was applicable to so-called large employers, those employers with at least 100 employees. Since then things have gotten even a little more complicated as if that wasn't hard enough but as it relates to those employers in Florida we've got some new twists going on. More complicated indeed. But before we get into the details of the Florida law, let's talk about the federal laws and requirements out there, then talk about the Florida law and where that leaves all of our listeners with respect to their Florida employees. Sounds like a plan, let's jump in. So I understand there are three primary sources of federal law or mandates that may apply to an employer in Florida. The September Biden executive order, the ETS issued by OSHA on November 4th, and the final interim rule issued by the CMS on November 4th. Let's take one at a time, starting with the Biden executive order. Can you give us some details on that mandate? Sure. And as a brief reminder about this, on September 24th, after President Biden required or or noted that it wanted federal contractors to be subject to vaccine mandates. The Safer Federal Workforce Task Force released its guidance implementing President Biden's order. That order required vaccine mandates on all employees, if you're subject to this order, unless legally entitled to an accommodation due to a disability or a sincerely held religious belief. So essentially the ADA, and Title VII in terms of religious beliefs apply, but otherwise employers must impose a strict vaccine mandate on covered employees. If an accommodation is required under either Title VII or the ADA, then the employer can evaluate undue hardship. The date to comply with this executive order has been pushed back and now January 18th is the last date that an employee can be vaccinated to comply. So is that January 18th deadline still applicable? There's been some legal challenges in court, right, Nancy? Right, yeah, and although 26 states have challenged the order on various grounds, it's still in full force and effect right now. There are no stays, there's no orders right now. Everything's just, you know, push forward as is. Okay, so let's talk about the CMS rule a bit. What is that? Yep. So on November 4th, the same day that the ETS came out, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued its final interim rule, also requiring employers who are subject to Medicare or Medicaid rules to impose vaccine mandates on their employees who are working in facilities that receive funding. 
This requirement, again, is to mandate vaccines, just like the executive order for federal contractors, and unless the employee is legally entitled to an accommodation, again, again, back to that Title VII ADA analysis. This rule requires compliance by January 4th as to all employees being vaccinated. And is the CMS rule still in effect, too? Yes. And in fact, just on November 20th, Judge Casey Rogers here in Florida denied a request by the state of Florida to impose a temporary restraining order on DHS from enforcing this rule. So Judge Rogers found, nope, you don't have enough right now for me to impose the TRO. Unlike the ETS that we're going to hear about in a second, the TRO was denied for this one. So like the Biden executive order for federal contractors, this one is is full force in effect and, and moving forward as planned. Okay, so that's two of the three. So we have the OSHA ETS left. We spent 20 minutes or so last time talking about this, but since then, there have been some changes, correct? Well, not changes to the ETS itself, but yes, as as to its applicability. So this is the mandate that applies to all employers with at least 100 employees as of November 5th, and it requires a little bit of a different application from the two that we just talked about. The standard talked about in the ETS provides that employers must require vaccinations unless they allow for weekly COVID testing. So therefore, this allows employers to impose mandatory vaccination policies, straight as if you were subject to the federal contractor one or the CMS rule, or they can choose instead under this OSHA ETS and still comply and impose a hybrid sort of vaccinate or test policy that we've talked about in the past. And we don't need to rehash the details of the ETS, but this one is also different in that OSHA has announced that it will temporarily halt and not take any actions to enforce this standard because of a intervening Fifth Circuit order. So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals sitting in Texas, it issued among the first orders regarding any of these challenges. Several states and other entities challenged this OSHA ETS. Um, The Fifth Circuit took it up and enjoined OSHA from enforcement, at least within the Fifth Circuit. So any employer in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, OSHA is enjoined from enforcing the ETS there. Following challenges to the ETS and every other federal circuit in the country, though, they were all consolidated recently through the multi-district litigation rules that Congress passed. And the big winner was the Sixth Circuit sitting in Ohio, and that that circuit will make the next move here. It's sort of the balls in their court. So far, we've seen um, petitioners pushing to get something issued. There's no briefing schedules yet and no word on when that's going to happen, but it could happen anytime. So hang on for this one because it, it could be, you know, announcement and all of a sudden go. So does that mean the Sixth Circuit could deny all the challenges in the next week or so and employers must have everything ready by the original deadlines? I guess technically that's right. So the, the original deadlines, as a reminder, were December 5th to get um, vaccination statuses and policies in place and then January 4th, but it's extremely unlikely that that's gonna happen. We fully expect that whenever the challenges are disposed of, if the ETS remains standing, new deadlines to comply will be issued. Everything that the the White House, OSHA, um, all of everybody involved has said would indicate that those deadlines will be extended. Okay. So Nancy, that we've talked about the three federal laws. So that brings us to Florida and the new Florida laws. Can you tell us uh, what that requires? 
Sure. So in our last podcast, we talked about the upcoming Florida special legislative session that was going to be convening. And that happened beginning November 15th. On November 17th, the Florida legislature approved three, uh, I'm sorry, four new bills. Um, and on the 18th, Governor DeSantis signed them all into law effective immediately. So as of Thursday, November 18th, the Florida laws became law. There's really one that that's sort of the main law. The other three deal with vaccines in some ways, but not really as applicable to employers. In the one that's most applicable here, and I'm, you know, it has made the most news, a private employer may not impose a COVID-19 mandate without providing individual exemptions, allowing an employee to opt out of such mandate based on one of five reasons. So the opt out is different than an accommodation. It, it's simply they have to allow employees to request to opt out and they have to allow opting out if one of the reasons for the request is provided. So to affect such an opt-out, the law says that the employee need to provide the employer with a completed exemption statement on forms that are going to be issued by the state. So Nancy, on what grounds can an employee opt out? So the law goes through five different reasons, five different opt-out provisions, and I'll go through each one. So the first is a medical reason, and it sounds a little bit like, you know, disability or handicap under the ADA, but it's, it's not really. Medical reasons under this law, all it says is that if the employee says that they have a medical reason, which the employer has to allow pregnancy or anticipated pregnancy to count as a medical reason. If the employee has a medical reason, not related to disability handicap, as we understand those terms under other laws, then that's a reason for an opt-out. So that's the first one. Okay. The second one is for a religious reason. So an employee can claim an exemption based on a religious reason. Unlike a request for accommodation under Title VII, because a sincerely held religious belief conflicts with the policies of the employer, the Florida law simply directs employers to exempt an employee to allow them to opt out because they present a statement indicating that the employee declines COVID-19 vaccination because of a sincerely held religious belief. So under other policies under, under Title VII, normally an employer would go through the process of, is does this person have a religious belief? Is it sincere? And is there a conflict between that sincerely held belief that's identified and being required to get a vaccination? The next reason, the third way that, or the third reason for an employee to opt out under this law is that um, an employee presents a statement demonstrating competent medical evidence that the employee has immunity to COVID-19 documented by the results of a valid laboratory test performed on the employee. More uh, standards are gonna be issued on this, but I'm presuming that that means somebody has post-COVID immunity or some sort of antibodies. I don't know about the word immunity, but but the antibodies within their blood or whatever, whatever the department identifies that term to mean. Is there a deadline for the Department of Health to adopt that standard so we can understand a little bit better what that actually means? Yeah, the Department of Health and then there are some other agencies within Florida issuing that are directed to issue some standards and, and guidance on this law in general within the next, well, it was within 15 days from November 18th. Okay. So the fourth opt-out provision that employers must consider and allow would be if an employee claims an exemption 
because they state that they agree to comply with regular testing for the presence of COVID-19 at no cost to the employee. So again, this is another one that a Florida Department of Health is going to issue some guidance on the frequency of testing, types of testing that can be you know, required, et cetera. But essentially the employee just has to say, hey, I'm willing to test, but this one, unlike the OSHA ETS, unlike any other law, would require it to be at no cost to the employee exactly what that means too in terms of cost of, of time getting the test versus the cost of the test. That's sort of up to interpretation. As of right now, it seems that cost would in, imply only cost of the test itself, hard cost, not time, that an employer wouldn't have to pay for the time to get tested, but that's completely up for interpretation too and, and will hopefully be ferreted out a little bit more by some more regulations and, and guidance. Last, the Florida law allows employees to present an exemption statement indicating the employee agrees to comply with the employer's reasonable written requirement to use employer-provided personal protective equipment to opt out of any vaccination mandate. So if the employee simply says, I'm willing to um, comply with my employer's requirement to use PPE whenever I'm around people, the employer needs to consider that and allow that opt out also. Okay, so you've told us the five ways under the law they can an employee could opt out. This sounds like it's in direct conflict with the federal rules and mandates we just talked about. Under the Florida law, an employer must allow an employee to opt out if they request it, right? Yes, on its face, the Florida law does directly conflict with at least the executive order and the CMS rule. The Florida law provides that an employee who feels that their employer has violated the law by not either not offering them this opportunity to opt out or by denying the opt out request, they can go to the Department of Legal Affairs. The Department of Legal Affairs then can investigate and impose a fairly significant fine on the employer. Any employer in Florida subject to this Florida law that has less than 100 employees could be fined up to $10,000 per violation, and any employer with 100 or more employees can be fined up to $50,000 per violation. So the employer has to allow that opt-out because one of the reasons, specifically in the law, that this fine can be imposed is if they just deny an exemption request. Under both the executive order and the CMS rule, the only way that an employer can not require the vaccination is if there is a valid um, accommodation needed under either Title VII or the ADA. Okay, Nancy, during our last podcast, we mentioned the supremacy clause. I'll bring it up again here because I know under the U.S. Constitution, if there's an actual conflict between a federal and a state law, the federal law wins. So should employers subject to any of those three federal mandates just ignore the Florida law based on preemption? Well, not exactly. It's not quite that simple. First, it never is. <laughs> <laughs> never, especially in Florida, right? Yep. First, there's always a risk that any of these three can be found to be unenforceable, right? We've already talked about that. Lots of legal challenges going on. Um, perhaps one or more will be found to have not been issued with proper authority. Who knows? That's always one risk. If that happens and the Florida law stands, it is the law that employers in Florida must follow. So we're going to have to you know, default back to that law. Again, and also right now with the ETS, while the ETS, I mean, 
It's technically in effect in Florida. There is an argument that the Fifth Circuit stay, the way that it was written, doesn't have a geographic scope. And there's a, there's an argument that it had a national scope because one of the many requ requests was for a national stay, although most were not for a national stay. Um, so there's a there's an argument that the ETS is actually state and not in effect, but also because OSHA has announced that it's not enforcing the standard, an employer might be better off right now if the only one of these three that that applies to it is the ETS, that they should assume that the ETS is not in effect for now. It sounds like you're saying there's likely preemption of the executive order and the CMS rule. Am I understanding you correctly? Yep. So as to employers or employees in Florida that are subject to either the executive order or the CMS rule, like you just said, it would likely make sense to follow those mandates because of the supremacy clause. As as I mentioned just earlier, in at least in, in Florida was the first one, but we do have an uh, order from a district court in Florida saying, nope, the CMS rule is still in effect. Now that order did not take into account, it wasn't asked to directly talk about this new Florida law. It does not specifically say one preempts the other. So as of right now, it makes sense to follow the mandates that are in place if you're subject to the executive order or the CMS rule and you're, you have employees in Florida. So if an employer is not subject to either of those, the executive order or the CMS rule, but is subject to OSHA's ETS, should it stand, what should those employers do? Well, so as you recall, I said that the ETS allowed for either vaccine mandates or a software approach vaccine or test. So I think we got to talk about employers who chose the vaccine mandates that are only subject to the ETS versus employers that chose the vaccine or test rules that are subject to the ETS. The Florida law was written in such a way that it only requires employers to consider and grant those opt-out requests if there is a mandate, a vaccine mandate. The way that it reads in the law is that if you have a pure vaccinate or be fired type policy, that then you have to allow for these opt-outs and grant these opt-outs. If, on the other hand, an employer in Florida has opted for the vaccine or test policy as allowed by the OSHA ETS, those mandates in the Florida law aren't going to apply to them anyway, so they don't really have to consider that. Okay, so there's a lot of steps here to consider. Let me make sure I understand how this plays out for employers with employees in Florida. First, for federal contractors under the executive order, as to covered employees, the executive order is in place, and to the extent the Florida law conflicts, it is preempted. Yep, I agree with that. Second, for CMS-covered employers, as to those covered employers, the rule is in place, and to the extent the Florida law conflicts, it is preempted. Yep, I agree with that also. Okay, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> Third, for employers not subject to the executive order or the CMS rule, for those that chose to impose a vaccinate or test policy, the Florida law simply is not applicable by its terms. Therefore, those employers should not be subject to its fines. Yep, I think you got three for three so far. Let's go for four. All right. And last, for employers not subject to the executive order or the CMS rule, but who chose to impose a vaccine mandate, they must consider the application of the Florida law as to any employees it wants to terminate or functionally terminate. 
pursuant to its vaccine policy. Yep, I think that that just about sums it up. And and I feel like we've given a lot of information for for people to chew on here in this in this short little time that we've been here. Well, there certainly has been a lot going on in Florida, and we want to make sure employers here are aware that there are a lot of unknowns. So it would be advisable to consult with your legal counsel if you have questions. Absolutely. And and on the way out, I want to remind our listeners that if they wish to, they can reach either Kimberly or I via email. Kimberly's at kdowd, D-O-U-D, at littler.com, or I'm at Johnson at littler.com. And we are happy to answer any follow-up or additional questions on on anything that you've heard today or any other COVID or vaccine-related topics. We're going to continue to bring you our candid analysis and try to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.